I bring you greetings from Niteroi, Brazil. I learned a little Portuguese while I was there, but I have forgotten all of it since I've been home, and so I'm going to have to brush up on some of that when I give uh, a more detailed report. We had a great trip, uh, and so on behalf of uh, Carrie Ann and I and Lewis and Carol and Clinton and Rachel, first of all, we want to thank you for your prayers, especially as we arrived in Charlotte and our plane was delayed because one of the engines didn't want to do right. That's a little alarming uh, when you're on the plane, but they got all that worked out. We got on another plane, got home safely. Thank you for your prayers, and uh, I want you to know the work in Niteroi, Brazil is going great. God is really working very, very alive in that place, and uh, we need to feel good about our work there. Brent and Jill send greetings and the whole church. I had various families come up to me while we were there saying, please tell Lamar Avenue how much we love them and how much we are grateful for them. And I, I found myself thinking, man, I just wish our entire church could meet and could see this church in action because uh, God is really working and really doing some great things in Niteroi. And over the next few weeks, uh, Clint and Lewis and myself will, will be sharing more in detail about some of the work and some of the plans. But I just want us to continue to pray about that work there and know that God is alive just as much as he is alive right here in Paris, Texas. And uh, we need to feel good about that. How many of you have your Bibles this morning? Let me see your Bibles. I want you to find Jeremiah chapter 29, Jeremiah chapter 29, and I'm going to read from there in just a moment. Now, how many of you have seen the movie Groundhog Day? Ah, okay, a lot of you have. You remember Bill Murray wakes up to the same day over and over and over again. I had to watch that movie four or five times before I would finally realize what was going on, okay? He finds himself confronted with the same situations he had faced just the day before all over again, only, of course, it isn't a new day. He is stuck on Groundhog's Day. He's aware of the repetition which is taking place as he experiences the repetition of the day before. But the difference is, confronted with the same choices once again, he is able to change what had happened previously by making a new choice, by making a different choice. If only it were that easy, right? How many of us have ever had a day that we would like to just live over again? That we would like to go back and right our mistakes if we can only learn from our mistakes before others were hurt? You know, today in our society, everybody is faced with hundreds of choices or options. We live in a very, what's been called a consumer-driven culture, where you have your choice of anything and everything you desire right at your fingertips. But that concept has also crept into the life of the church and our choices concerning what takes place in the life of the church. So we pick and choose church life almost the way that we choose products in a store. As we go through this time right now in our church, mission and vision, where we're thinking not just one year and two years, but 10 years out, 
of what we dream of Lamar Avenue to be like. What we need to understand is this. God already knows the plans. He already knows the desires. And what he's asking us to do is to wait on his timing. There's areas of our life right now where that's what we need to do. We need to slow down and we need to stop and we need to get back on the page with God's timing. Because there's choices, there's decisions that we need to make, but we want to make sure that we're making those that are in line with the will of God. You've heard me say this over and over again, and I'm going to continue to say it as we go through this. The most important place that you and I can find ourselves is right in the middle of the will of God. And that's what we pray, and that's what we desire for God to reveal and to show to us as we make plans for the next 10 years. Now I want you to look at this passage in Jeremiah chapter 29. Beginning in verse 10, this is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my gracious promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Underline that phrase, for I know the plans that I have for you. Underline it, get it in your mind, circle it, whatever you need to do, but get that phrase all over yourself right now. Then verse 12, then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back from captivity I will gather you from all the nations and places where I have banished you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. Now I want you to turn and fast forward to the little book of Haggai. And we're going to camp out there. If you're using a pew Bible, it's on page 667 and 668. But find the little book of Haggai, and we'll look at that in just a moment. There's a recent issue that I read recently of Leadership Journal where Marshall Shelley, he says this. He says, churchgoers may seek a life-changing experience, but only if it doesn't affect their lifestyle. Do you hear that? Churchgoers may seek a life-changing experience, but only if it doesn't affect their lifestyle. Not saying that we don't want change. We want change, but we want to be able to stay the same with our lifestyle. Now, is that really possible? I mean, when you stop and look look at that, God says, I know the plans that I have for you. You know, a lot of times the plans that God has for us and the plans that we have for ourselves, they're not on the same page, are they, church? And so what God is inviting the people to is this. You can think what you want, but in a nutshell, he says, I know your heart. I know where you are. And until you seek me and until you get right with me, 
I'm not going to be there for you. Man, how could God say that? How could God do that? God wants all of his children to seek and to follow him with all, not half, but all their heart. We want life to be comfortable, don't we? We want to meet our needs and our desires with little consequence. We like to talk about the blessings of God, but all too often we're afraid to deal with the requirements of following God. But what we've got to understand is that one feeds into the other. We get so caught up sometimes in our own life circumstances that we miss out on what is most important. And the people in Jerusalem had stopped focusing on the importance of building and working to build the temple. You see, the temple was significant not because it was merely a building. It was significant because it was where you would come to find God. I want you to look in Psalm 19. I want you to listen to these words. The heavens declares the glory of God, and the skies proclaim the works of His hands. Through mission, through vision, through plans for the church, through plans for your life, what God wants above all is that you not only seek Him, but what He wants is His glory to be declared. In your life right now, and as we go through this mission and vision of what we're going to be in 2023, first and foremost, what we want at the top of all of that is for the glory of God to shine right through it. What we want right now for what I want for my life, and I hope and pray that you want it for your life, is that above all, you want the glory of God to shine through. That's what we're dealing with as we look at this little book of Haggai. Very, very name, Haggai, means festival. It means feast. And so as you read, you get the impression from reading this little book that Haggai was kind of the least of the scariest of the Old Testament prophets because he's a man with a heart of love. He's a man that was driven to make sure that above all, that he gets the point across to the people, you need to find God. And whatever it takes for you to do that is what you need to do. Now, as Haggai opens up, prophet was most likely born in exile in Babylon where the Jewish people were held for a 70-year period before a group of about 50,000 strong returned to Jerusalem led by Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel was the governor of the state of Judah in 520 B.C. He had returned to Jerusalem some 18 years earlier to resettle the city, and they were some of the first exiles uh, to come back into the city. Well, in that 18 years that the people had begun to return to Jerusalem, they kind of forgot to do something. They had not begun work on the temple. You see, the Temple of Solomon had been built in 959, and it was destroyed in the fall of Jerusalem in 586. And so without a temple, worship and connection with God was not possible for the people of the nation. And so when the people returned to Jerusalem, they're expected to begin construction on the temple so that God could be worshipped and he could be glorified. But here was the deal. 
They were so preoccupied and so caught up with their own lives that they ignored the work of God. Is it possible for us to do that today? Is it possible for us to just get so preoccupied with me, with self, that we forget the big picture? Maybe blessings are not falling upon you right now and me because we're not following him and seeking after him with all of our heart. That's a tough thing, isn't it? It's a challenge that we face. But look in Haggai, as he writes about this call to build the house of the Lord. In the second year of King Darius, on the first day of the sixth month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. This is what the Lord Almighty says. These people say, the time has not yet come for the Lord's house to be built. Then the word of the Lord came to the prophet Haggai. Is it a time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses while this house remains a ruin? Then the word of the Lord came to the prophet Haggai. Now this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. You've planted much, but you've harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You put on clothes, but are not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. Now, do you get the idea that this mindset of this person is never satisfied? This person is never content. This person is never happy? Do you know people like that? Do you find yourself sometimes in conversations with somebody where it's always negative, it's always doom and gloom? Man, what do you do with that? Always negative. How do you respond to that? I was talking to somebody the other day and they were just going on and on and on, just negative, negative, negative. And they said, well, you're not saying anything. I said, I'm listening to you and I'm trying to figure out what in the world you're saying. And why in the world you feel this way? Because really, when you look around, God is at work. And when you look around, God really is doing some pretty mighty things. Our world's too small, church. Sometimes our little life and our little world is too small. And we don't see the bigger picture of what's going on. That's what God is trying to say through Haggai. Get the people to realize, wake up. See the work of God all around you and join God right there. Have you thought about that? God's already at work and maybe what he's doing is inviting us to join him in the work that's already existing Let's keep on. So this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. Go up into the mountains and bring down timber and build the house so that I may take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. 
You expected much, but see, it turned out to be little. What you brought home, I blew away. Why, declares the Lord Almighty, because of my house, which remains a ruin, while each of you is busy with his own house. You know, as, as you see that, and as you see that God wants the people to work and to build the temple, what we begin to see today, I want you to fast forward over to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Look down in verse 16 and 17. Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple? And that God's Spirit lives where? In you. If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him, for God's temple is sacred, and you are that temple. And then that thought process continues over in chapter 6. Look down in verse 19. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you've received from God? You are not your own. You are bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. Thousands of years ago, build the temple because it's where God is. Jesus comes along and says what? You are now my temple. You are now that body that's going to go out and make a difference in this world. And so what we do with this right here really does make a difference, doesn't it, church? What we do with this right here speaks volumes to people in the world. What we begin to realize is God's not just in the church building. God's in me. So wherever I go, guess what? God is right there. We can all leave this auditorium this morning and guess who goes with us? Or really, guess who we go with? We go with God. So we're not confined to this right here. But what do we do in our lives to bring glory to God? I think what Haggai is telling the people is, if you want to bring glory to God, you've got to first of all choose to be obedient to Him. It's so easy to get your life off track and chase after things that you think satisfy, but they really don't. Look, look, in, look in verse 6 of Haggai 1. Look at some of the consequences that if you don't obey... You've planted much, but you've harvested little. You eat, but never have enough. You drink, but never have your fill. You put on clothes, but you're not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. Then look down in verse 11. I called for a drought on the fields and the mountains and on the grain and the new wine and the oil and whatever the ground produces on men and cattle and on the labor of your hands. In other words, I'm calling a drought on everything. 
because you're not following after me. And then look over in chapter 2, verses 16 and 17. When anyone came to a heap of 20 measures, there were only 10. When anyone went to a wine vat to draw 50 measures, there were only 20. I struck all the work of your hands with blight and mildew and hail. You did not turn to me, declares the Lord. And so from this day on, from this 24th day of the ninth month, you better give careful thought to the day when the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid. In other words, you better give careful thought to what I'm already doing for you. You better give careful thought to what I've already done for you. So what do we do? See, what happens is when we get on the page with God and we're following after His glory, number two, here, look what happens. We're going to receive all of His blessings. And He reminds the people through this little book that God blesses their obedience. And I'm going to show you right now six different areas that God promises to bless those who are, who are obedient to Him. Look in Haggai 1.14. So the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the spirit of the whole remnant of the people. And they came and began to work on the house of the Lord Almighty, their God, and on the 24th day of the sixth month in the second year of King Darius." God's blessings are going to come, and as a result, one area that you're going to notice is this, enthusiasm. And you know how that enthusiasm gets there? What does God say to Haggai? The spirit of my people are going to come alive. He says the spirit of Zerubbabel, the spirit of Joshua, the high priest, and look what happens when that spirit and that enthusiasm is there with not just one or two people. Look what happens to the whole group, the whole remnant. What does it say? The spirit of the whole remnant of the people were stirred up. See, when you're doing the work of God, it's good, isn't it? And it's something that we are to be enthusiastic about. And I want to tell you this, enthusiasm catches on, doesn't it? When other people see that you are excited and enthused about something, they're going to start talking to you. They're going to start asking questions. What is it that you're so excited about? What is it, church? We serve a God that just continues to pour his blessings on us. But you know, there's a lot of folks that don't know about that. And they are looking to us to see that. The spirit that God has put in us as his temple, in our bodies, 
is something that we need to be excited about. And we need to keep it stirred up. Because when the Spirit of God is stirred up, you can always mark this down. Work is going to take place and blessings are going to come from that. Look, at, look over in chapter 2, verse 4 and 5. Not only do you see enthusiasm that comes, but you also see strength. Chapter 2, verse 4. But now be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord, and work, for I am with you, declares the Lord Almighty. And this is what I covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt, and my spirit remains among you. Look at the next three words. Do not fear. Man, we need to hear that, don't we? There's work to be done, and you have my spirit alive and well and working within you, so really, you have nothing to be afraid of. Nothing. And yet, sometimes, what drives us more than anything? Fear. What should drive us, church? Faith in a strong and powerful and mighty God. And our God is mighty to save. And I don't know about you, but I'm tired of fear trying to drive people of faith. I'm ready for faith to drive people of faith. Because that's God's plan and that's his will. Look down in verses 8 and 9. And look at the next three blessings that come. Resources, presence, and a peace. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord Almighty. The glory of this present house will be greater than the glory of the former house, says the Lord Almighty. And in this place, I will grant peace, declares the Lord Almighty. And then down in chapter 2, verse 19, you see prosperity that comes. Is there any seed left in the barn? Until now, the vine and the fig tree and the pomegranate and the olive tree have not borne fruit. From this day on, look what he says, I will bless you. But only when priorities are lined up with God. Only when your will is in line with God's will will those blessings fall. You know, the people had lived in a drought and famine for years because of their disobedience. And now after they have been stirred up and they're awake, God's blessing them because they focused on the important things in life. But I want you to look at this last thing as we close. Look over in Haggai 2, the last verse, verse 23. To bring glory to God is to trust in God's faithfulness. And look what he does. On that day, declares the Lord Almighty, I will take you, my servant Zerubbabel, 
son of Shealtiel, declares the Lord, and I will make you like my signet ring, for I've chosen you, declares the Lord Almighty. A signet in that day was as good as a signature. It was a seal. It was the impression of which was laid in wax or clay and was worn either on the finger or on a cord around your neck. And the significance was that the signet was used as a pledge or guarantee of full payment. It meant that the one who used it was going to make good on his promise. And that promise at the end here simply says, I have chosen you. We need to hear those words today, don't we? We are a chosen people. Because we've been chosen, God's going to make good on his promise. When we choose to put priorities in our life into the lives of Jesus, he's going to make good on that guaranteed and so the struggles and the sins and the pain and the agony and the victories and the triumphs all of that that we go through just the cycles of life through it all God says you're still my chosen person you're still the one that I love you're still the one that I'm going to use to work my will through your life so other people can see my glory. But do you see how easy it is to get off track? How easy it is to lose focus? And I pray over the next few months as we pray and as we meet and as we discuss the vision for this church, I pray that we can remember God already knows his plans for us. He already knows it. What he's asking us to do is just to fall in line and keep doing his will. Let's bow for a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for blessing us. And Father, we've been reminded this morning how you want us to seek you with all of our hearts. Father, we know that when we don't do that, there's a price to pay. But we also know, Father, as soon as we repent and call on you and come back to you, you still count us as your chosen people. And we thank you for that. Father, we are so humbled by the fact that you know the plans and the desires for our lives and the life of the church. May we listen to your voice. May we listen to your will above our own. And may your glory shine through like ever before. This is our prayer in the name of Jesus. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen.